All right, let's go ahead and stand together for the reading and hearing of God's Word. Psalm chapter 13. To the choir master, a psalm of David. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death, lest my enemy say I have prevailed over him, lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. The grass withers, the flower falls, but the words of our Lord endure forever. Amen? Let's go ahead and pray together and ask for the Lord's blessing on our time in his word. Our Father, as we consider this psalm, Psalm 13, we remember your words spoken through John the Baptist, that a man can receive nothing except it be given to him from heaven. And we acknowledge, Lord, that in the foolishness of the pride of our hearts, we often come to your word as though our own natural level of intelligence and our ability to read were in themselves sufficient to lead us to understanding. But, oh Lord, we confess in your presence this morning that unless you open our eyes, we shall not behold wondrous things out of your law. And so we come to you now, Heavenly Father, aware of our own sinfulness and our tendency to error. We come conscious of our own ignorance, and we pray that by the Holy Spirit's ministry, by and with the Word, we would be given that illumination we so desperately need. And then, O oh Lord, with the understanding of your Word, might we feel its pressure upon our hearts, might we know something of its demands upon our lives. And none of us leave here today having merely seen your truth set before our eyes, but oh, that your word would penetrate to the deepest recesses of our hearts. Lord, we, please, we ask that you please show us more of the beauty and glory of your beloved Son, and speak to us, we pray, with power and clarity as we turn to you, confessing our need and crying to you for the help of heaven, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Please be seated. Discouragement, depression, despair, a downcast spirit, a troubled heart, anguish, inner turmoil. That's what we find in the heart of David who penned this psalm. One of the things I love about the psalms personally is that in reading them, we have a wonderful opportunity to look deep within the hearts of the writers. And in a sense, we can actually see what's going on inside of them, what they're thinking, how they're feeling, and I'm assuming that all of us can relate in one way or another to how David feels here at the beginning of, of his psalm. Do you this morning know what it is to be dejected or discouraged? Do you know what it is to be deeply troubled in your heart? Are you perhaps someone who struggles with depression? How about this question? Have you ever felt abandoned by God? Let me repeat that. Have you, Christian, in your walk with the Lord, have you ever felt abandoned by him? And if you have, is that something you'd be willing to admit to another brother or sister in Christ? I don't think that's, that's something most of us would be comfortable admitting. I mean, what, that might, what might that say about us? 
share something like that? Would others perhaps even call our salvation into question? But this morning, I wonder how many of you have felt like this at one point or another in your walk with the Lord. I actually believe this is more common than we might think. So this morning, if you felt this way, Psalm 13 will be especially encouraging to you because we find here that's exactly how David felt. If you've ever experienced discouragement and deep despair, even to the point that you felt like, Lord, where are you? Then you're in good company because David, the man after God's own heart, felt that way too. Now, thankfully, that's not all we find in this psalm. We also discover that even though there's anguish and fear in the heart of David, a sense of God's abandonment, there's also faith. We find that David moves from a low place of intense emotional pain to the high place of praise. He moves from restlessness to rejoicing and from turmoil to trust. Charles Spurgeon comments on this psalm and he says this, The psalm cannot be referred to in any special event or period in David's history. All attempts to find it a birthplace are but guesses. It was doubtless more than once the language of that much-tried man of God and is intended to express the feelings of the people of God in those ever-returning trials which beset them. If the reader has never yet found occasion to use the language of this brief ode, he will do so ere long if he be a man after the Lord's own heart. So, in other words, if you're a Christian and you've never felt abandoned by God and prayed like this, just give it some time. Eventually, if you do love the Lord, you will. All right, so on that note, dear ones, let's unpack the psalm and discover how God wants to use this to encourage us, especially in those times when we might be feeling like David did. Perhaps there's some of you here this morning who are are feeling this way even now. You have a a troubled heart. You've come this morning with a, a discouraged spirit, and you're going through something really, really hard in your life. Maybe even it's been a long time that this is going on. And so if that's the case, this this psalm is like a a cure for heart trouble. This is a wonderful psalm to go to when you have a hurting heart. So my prayer is that you'll be encouraged this morning as we make some important observations. We're going to consider how this psalm applies to us. And then most importantly, we're going to discover how it points us, how it directs us to our glorious Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Because if we do read the psalms properly, and we'll always see them pointing to Jesus. All right? So, really, if you're a note-taker, we've got three outline headers for this morning with some additional sub-points. The the psalm is actually broken up into three stanzas with two verses each, so we're just going to use the structure of the psalm as an outline. And the first thing that I want you to note is the heavy problem. The heavy problem. In verses 1 and 2, we find that David's dealing with a situation in his life that's resulted in deep discouragement, and intense inner turmoil. Notice again what he says in these first two verses. He says, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How how long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? I mean, this guy's really hurting, isn't he? And it's pretty obvious in the cry of his heart that he's going through something really tough, a major difficulty in his life. And what I want to do is draw your attention to three areas of this problem. I mentioned it's a heavy problem. So first notice the weight of the problem. The weight of the problem. Notice how David four times repeats in these two verses, How long, O Lord? That's really a distinctive feature of this psalm. 
And this fourfold repetition suggests that there's some heavy suffering going on on the part of David. It really emphasizes the intensity of his emotions. What he's dealing with is extremely intense. And he's, he's discouraged. He's, he's lamenting here in these first two verses. Psalm 13 is a psalm of lament. It's a, a passionate expression of the grief and sorrow in David's heart. Notice he says, How long must I take counsel in my soul, in my innermost being, and have sorrow in my heart all the day? You guys ever felt like that? You ever felt like your heart just won't stop hurting when something difficult is going on in your life? Like like you're just deeply discouraged, maybe even depressed to the point that you actually feel sick in your stomach? Like, Like you just wish you could go to sleep to make it go away, to escape the pain for a little while. But then, of course, you can't even sleep because your mind's going crazy. Your thoughts are everywhere. They're all over the place. There's a, a weighty turmoil of heart and mind because you're dealing with something very, very hard. Have you ever been there? Is that a place you can relate with, relate to? That's, that's how David's feeling. He's in the midst of a weighty problem. Notice also the duration of the problem. Whatever's weighing him down, he's been dealing with this for a long time. Again, we have the four how longs. How, how long, O oh Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul? Lord, how long do I have to carry the weight of this trial? How, how long do I have to try to figure out what's going on inside my soul? How, how long will I have sorrow in my heart all the day? Lord, Lord, it's been a while. One of the reasons we can become... Discouraged, beloved, is because we've been in the midst of a difficulty for a very long period of time. There's a, a life crisis, whatever it might be, a difficult trial, and we're, we're hoping that it will pass, but it just continues to go on and on and on. I think for the most part, if, we, if we've been walking with the Lord for a while, we, we typically do okay in the short term, but when that trial's prolonged, and it seems like there's no light at the end of the tunnel, then we can know what it is to, to truly be discouraged. And, of course, this makes me think of Job. You guys remember Job? Remember when he was tested? He had those, those intense trials hit his life, one after another after another. Remember how he handled that at first? What did he say? What was his response in the, in the midst of those uh, intense trials? What did he say? You guys know. The Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Of course, there was certainly great pain in his heart, but... This response is incredibly admirable. But then we see that when those trials stretched out over a long period of time and, and he saw no end to them, then what happened? And things started to change a little bit, didn't they? He, he started to voice his complaints. An old Baptist preacher once said this. He says, it's not under the sharpest but the longest trials that we are most in danger of fainting. When Job was accosted with evil tidings in quick succession, he bore it with becoming fortitude, but when he could see no end to his troubles, he sank under them. So we see the, the weight of David's problem and the duration of David's problem. He's been under the weight of it for a long time, but, but why is David feeling like this? Why is, he, why is he feeling the way that he is? What's the reason for the turmoil in, in his heart? That's the, the third thing that I want you to note, the cause of the problem. The cause of the problem. Essentially, we have two reasons given to us why David's in despair. Two reasons for the inner turmoil. And the first reason is a sense of abandonment. There's a sense of abandonment. He just he feels like God's not there. Notice again verse 1. 
How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? He's saying, where are you, Lord? Where are you in the midst of this? Oftentimes in the the Psalms we find a movement of intensity. And and that's really what we have here with the previous Psalm in Psalm 13. Pastor Mark uh, taught us very well, thanks to Pastor Mark, from Psalm 12 a few weeks back. And the, the issue there with David was, Lord, where are the godly? Where are the godly ones? He, he cries out there in Psalm 12, Save, O Lord, for the godly one is gone. For the faithful have vanished from among the children of men. So in Psalm 12, David feels like he's alone with God. It's like, Lord, it's you and me, but where are the godly? Where are the righteous? But then here in Psalm 13, it's where's God? Where are you, Lord? Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? Have you ever felt like that in the midst of a prolonged trial? Like you you pray and you pray and you desire the Lord's presence and His attention, but it seems like He's he's just not there. That's what David's struggling with. And you know what's going on here? He, He feels essentially like God just doesn't care about what he's going through. He feels like God's actually removed his blessing from his life. When he says here, will you forget me forever, It's not like David actually thinks that God can literally forget something. He he knows that God is omniscient. He knows that God knows everything. He's omnipresent. He's everywhere. So really, this is just a human way of communicating a lack of apparent blessing. He's saying, God, how long will you remove your favor from my life? How long will you hide your face from me is the, the parallel thought in the verse. It's the parallel to forgetting me. So really, it's just another way of saying the same thing. To have God's face turned in your direction is essentially to have God's manifest blessing upon your life. Numbers chapter 5 says this. This will be familiar to you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And so David's feeling like God's turned his attention elsewhere and his favor upon his life has been removed. That God doesn't care about this heavy problem that he's going through. Now, let me just show you this idea in a different place. I mentioned Job earlier. Let's go back to the book of Job. Uh, Keep your place there in Psalm 13 and turn back to Job chapter 29. I think Job gives us some great insight on this sense of abandonment that David is experiencing. Let's go to Job chapter 9 beginning in verse 1. It says, and Job again took up his discourse and said, oh, that I were as in the months of old. He's saying, Lord, if I could just go back, if I could go back to better days, as in the days when God watched over me, when his lamp shone upon my head, and by his light I walked through darkness, and I was in my prime. Look at this. When the friendship of God was upon my tent, when the Almighty was yet with me, he's saying, I wish I could go back to the day when I could see God's presence and his apparent blessing on my life. That's what he's saying. He says, when my children were all around me. Remember, at this point, his children are dead. That's that's one of the initial trials that he had to face. He says, if I could just go back to the days when my steps were washed with butter and the rock poured out for me streams of oil, 
When I went out to the gate of the city, when I prepared my seat in the square, the young men saw me and withdrew, and the aged arose and stood. The princes refrained from talking and laid their hand on their mouth. The voice of the nobles was hushed, and their tongue stuck to the roof of their mouth. When the ear heard, it called me blessed, and when the eye saw, it approved, because I delivered the poor who cried for help and the fatherless who had none to help them. So Job's in the midst of this prolonged trial, and he's describing for us the days when God's blessing, his apparent blessing, was on his life. When he was admired, when he was a respected follower of God, and when it was apparent that everyone knew that he was a man in God's favor. But look at this. Skip ahead to chapter 30 and verse 1. Look at this. What a contrast. He says, but now they laugh at me. Men who are younger than I, whose fathers I would have disdained to set with the dogs of my flock. Now Job's nothing more than a laughing stock, is he? He's like a, a reproach. And God seemed to have removed his favor from Job's life. And so this is exactly how David was feeling. Like, like God's not there and God doesn't care. Have you ever felt like that? Like God's not there and God doesn't care. I don't know about you, but I find it very encouraging that these two men or giants of the faith, are in the Bible. We've got Job on the one hand, who God calls upright and blameless. And then we have David, another giant, who God calls a man after his own heart, who both went through times of extreme depression to the point they felt like God's not there and God doesn't care. But, as we'll see in Psalm 13, even though we may feel that way, God is always there and God does always care. See, it's, it's not enough to know that others have felt the way we can sometimes feel. We also need to be able to get out of the depression and recover a true sense of God's presence in our lives. We need to move from feelings to facts. We need to be able to go from crisis to the character of God. Back to Psalm 13. All right, now the second reason for David's heavy problem is that it appears his enemies are prevailing. Look yet again at verse 2, and the, the last line, he says, How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? This, this fourth lament explains the second reason for his turmoil. His, his enemy is exalted, he says. And the, the word that he uses here means to be raised to, to a position of power and dignity. And we're not quite sure what David uh, is referring to, what enemy he's referring to, but Whoever this enemy is, this enemy is currently exercising some sort of power over David. Perhaps there was a a power struggle of some kind. And the enemy is prevailing in this power struggle. And and David's thinking, if the Lord continues to hide his face from me, then ultimately it's going to lead to my death and disaster for God's people. So we can see why, why David's in great turmoil. On the one hand, there's this dangerous enemy that's prevailing and is a threat to David's very life. And on the other hand, it seems like in the midst of this great threat, God's nowhere to be found, and he's not acting on David's behalf. It's, it's as if God's removed his favor from David's life. So David's, David's got to be thinking, what in the world is going on here? What in the world is happening? Now, on that note, there's something else to, to point out here. There's something actually missing, and I don't know if you caught this. Something missing. Do you notice that there's no mention of any sin in David's life or, or confession of sin? You see that? I think it's clear. It's a clear indicator that David doesn't know why all of this is happening. 
not like there's some known sin in his life and he's just refusing to deal with the sin. You ever had, had the Lord seem to remove his blessing from your life and you just don't know why? Why, Lord? You're seeking to, to grow in Christ and follow Christ. You're not sinless by any means, but, but you're not harboring any known sin. It just seems like God's not there. I mean, if you knew of something that, that you needed to confess and repent of, you would. But, but for some reason, your spiritual life, it just seems so dry. You ever felt like that? That's, that's where David is. But thankfully, by the grace of God, that's not where David stays. We have a, a great turning point here in verse 3. So we've noted the heavy problem. Next, I want you to note the humble prayer. That's in verses 3 and 4, the humble prayer. What does David want? What does he desire in the midst of his despair? He tells, he tells God in verses 3 and 4. Let's notice again what he says here. He says, Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. What we have here in this prayer is three imperatives. Three imperatives that come from David. He says, consider me, answer me, and light up my eyes. First of all, David wants God to to consider him. And this word in the Hebrew is nabat, and what it means is to, to look intently at and to regard with pleasure and favor and care. Lord, I'm I'm feeling like you've hidden your face from me. Lord, please look at me. Lord, please turn your face to me, David prays. Lord, I'm hurting inside. I'm in trouble. Lord, please, please care for me. This This is what David desires. One commentator put it this way, divine abandonment and alienation made the psalmist experience despair, but God's look, his expressive favor, renews life. I like that, don't you? God's look renews life. That's something that we should remember. All right, now this is important to point out as well. Notice that despite the fact that David is discouraged, he's never in doubt of his relationship with the Lord. He says, oh Lord, my God. He's not in doubt of the relationship. He just wants the active presence of God in his life. Consider me, Lord, he says. He also says, answer me. Lord, answer me. Lord, please don't stay silent. Lord, don't ignore me. Lord, will you answer me? And, and really, the answer that he's looking for is, is an assurance of God's favor. That's, that's how we know everything's okay, right? When we're assured of God's favor. It's like that made me think of the little child that gets hurt. You know, and mamas know this all too well. All that little one wants when, when they get hurt is for mama or, or papa to acknowledge them and their pain, and assure them of their loving care. So this this answer that David's looking for is a a positive message of God's favor, by which the Lord will actually free him from the turmoil that's going on in his soul. Then third, David also asks the Lord to light up his eyes. That's the, the third imperative. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death, lest my enemies say I have prevailed over him, lest my foes rejoice because I'm shaken. What do you think David means by this? By I light up my eyes. What do you think he's, he's what kind of light do you think he's talking about? I would say it's the light of encouragement. Lord, encourage my troubled heart. 
It's the light of assurance, assurance that God hasn't forgotten about him and turned his face away. Probably the light of joy. David desires in the midst of his sorrow for his sorrow to be turned to joy. It's probably the light of peace as opposed to the inner turmoil that he's experiencing. This, this phrase is actually an idiom that expresses the effect of God's blessing. David's saying, Lord, encourage me. Lord, look upon me. Assure me of your favor. Grant me joy and peace so that my eyes will sparkle with the goodness of your grace. It's like my eyes are dim with despair, Lord, but I want you to light them up lest I sleep the sleep of death. And here's where we essentially find the humility in the, in the prayer. Because as, as lonely as David is feeling, and in spite of the danger that he's in and wanting to be delivered from it, the greater concern that David actually has is the glory of God. See, we have to remember that David's God's king. And if God's king's defeated, that reflects poorly on God. So this, this prayer contains an urgent appeal for the covenant favor of God. If David were to be overcome by death, then his enemies would have a reason to rejoice. And, and their joy would be expressed not only in taking pleasure in the fall of the godly, but also in God's failure to be faithful to his covenant promises. So this is a a humble, God-focused prayer. Lord, consider me and answer me and light up my eyes for your name's sake. All right, finally we have the heartfelt praise. We've seen the heavy problem, the humble prayer, And lastly is the heartfelt praise. That's in verses 5 and 6. Look at them with me again. David says, But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he's dealt bountifully bountifully with me. That's kind of surprising, isn't it? I mean, it looked like the psalm was going in one direction, and then all of a sudden it hits this, this incredible high. I mean, what an incredible declaration of faith this is. It's not not really something you expect based on the previous verses. Though Though my heart's in turmoil, though I'm in inner anguish, Lord, I will trust in you. This is emphatic. But I, he says, it's a a decision. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. This word for love is a great Hebrew word. It's the word chesed. What a wonderful word. The word in in Hebrew, that has more of a loyalty or, a, or an enduring allegiance about it than the emotions and the feelings that we normally associate with love. It's an enduring loyalty to a covenant relationship. He's saying, but I have trusted in your never-failing covenantal love. You know what, beloved? This is a, an incredible truth that we should never forget. By the grace of God, listen to this, a godly person, can decide to trust the Lord in the middle of turmoil. You and I, in the midst of turmoil, can choose to trust that God loves us. And that's only by the grace of God. So if you're here this morning and you're battling some hardships in your life, I want to ask you this question. Do you actually believe that God loves you? Do you believe that? Even when your circumstances might say otherwise? So we have a a declaration of trust here, followed by an expression of joy. Look at this. David goes on to say, my heart shall rejoice in your salvation. Notice the order here. First there's trust, then there's joy. He says, I have trusted, 
therefore I shall rejoice. This is so spot on. I mean, this is right on because true joy can only result from trusting in who God is. You have to trust in God before you can rejoice in God. Because David chooses to trust, he can rejoice in who God is and what he does. He's a, a loving God. He's a saving God. And essentially the, the, the salvation mentioned here represents everything that David's been expressing in his heart. It's the salvation of assurance. It's the salvation of God's blessing on his life. And it's the salvation of deliverance from his enemies. David makes a spiritual decision to trust God and rejoice. This actually reminds me of our, our study in the book of James. We're going through James on Sunday nights. It's been a wonderful time to get together to do that. James tells us, count it all joy when we meet trials of various kinds, knowing that it has a purpose, knowing that the, the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Listen, if you don't see any purpose in your suffering and you don't believe God really loves you, then there's no way that you can rejoice in your circumstances. Why is it that God allows us to feel the way David did? Why do you think it is that God allows us to feel the way that Job did? Why does he allow turmoil in our lives and, and a sense of abandonment? You, know, you want to know why? It's because he wants to teach us what, what trust is. That's why. He wants to teach us what trust is. If our circumstances always allow us to feel what's true, then we'd never, ever learn to trust God. So don't, don't live your life based on the way you feel. Live your life based on what God has said in his word. All right, finally we see that David moves from trust to joy to praise. Verse 6, I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. In other words, I will sing to the Lord because he's been so good to me. I will sing to the Lord because he's a good, good father. I wonder, have you ever known the sweetness of singing the praises of God right in the middle of your deepest sorrow? when your, your heart's hurting, and right there in the midst of that, you sing praises to the Lord. You say, Lord, you've been good to me. That's, that's so precious to the Lord. Another thing, you want to know what our greatest anchor is in the storms of life? Our greatest anchor in the storms of life is actually knowing God. Knowing Him. Knowing His character and the attributes of the, the God we worship. Understanding God's character will give you a firm footing when you encounter the trials of life. Understanding, listen to this, understanding the absolute sovereignty of God will radically change your life. Understanding the sovereignty of God will radically change your life. To grasp in your mind that God has foreordained whatsoever comes to pass and what that means for the child of God, that's a life-changing thing. It will elevate your trust, especially in the midst of trial. Comprehending the steadfast love of God. What about that? And the goodness of God. And then actually experiencing it in your life practically. That's life change. That'll change your whole perspective on life and the way you live your life. You might be thinking, how do I do that? How do I know God better? Let Let me give you a couple of suggestions. One's pretty obvious. Just read your Bible over and over and over. As you're reading it, ask the question to God, Lord, what does this teach me about you? What does this say of you? Another way to know the character of God is to read some good books on the attributes of God. We actually just had a recent uh, growth group on the attributes of God. What a blessing. 
They also give away books on Sunday nights to help you in your knowledge of the Lord. I want to recommend one to you, though. Stephen Charnock. Stephen Charnock wrote a great book, The Existence and Attributes of God. It's a masterpiece. It's phenomenal. It's wordy, but it's actually a spiritual goldmine. He actually has almost 150 pages on the goodness of God alone. You have to read this book. All right, now, I think Eric will appreciate this. I can probably throw in a little shameless plug at this point for the upcoming theology classes that we have, right? Those things will help you grow in the knowledge of the Lord. So these are just a few ways. David was a man who knew his God. And it's what took him from this place of turmoil to trust even in the darkest situations in his life. All right, I've got one final observation from the psalm before we wrap up with some, some concluding thoughts. And really, here's where the beauty of this, this psalm shines most brightly. We spent a, a lot of time drawing out what David was experiencing, the depths of his soul. We did that for a reason. The, the inner turmoil, the sense of abandonment, the, the heartbreak and pain. And the reason that we did that is because David actually points us to another David. In fact, he points us to one far greater than David. Someone who actually cried out from another psalm, but also expressed a sense of abandonment. He said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's what he said. And that someone is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ himself, who suffered and bled and died on the cross for the sins of his people. See, Jesus on the cross had a sense of God-forsakenness. And his experience, as he was hanging there on the cross, was God does not care. And his heart was broken. Let's not forget the anguish and the inner turmoil in the garden prior to the cross. You remember that? As he struggled in prayer with what he had to face, to to the point that he was literally sweating drops of blood. And, of course, there were also the external causes of it all. There were his enemies, his foes, who, like David, seemed to be prevailing over him, the ones who, who drove the nails into his hands and feet, the ones who lifted the cross and rejoiced to see him die and who mocked and cursed him. But thank God the grave could not hold him. and God was glorified in all of it as Christ rose victoriously from the dead and he conquered sin and death itself. This is the beauty of of Psalm 13. Yes, it's a a super encouraging cure for inner turmoil and trials in the trials of life, but it's so much more than that. So much more. And let me give you a couple of things to take away. There's there's a lot of application we can draw from this, but I'm just going to try to keep it simple. For the believer, you can write this down. In times of turmoil, when God seems distant, We must call to him and trust in his steadfast love. Let me repeat that. In times of turmoil, when God seems distant, we must call to him and trust in his steadfast love. Though it might seem like God's abandoned you in your despair, he never will. He's always active on your behalf, even when it seems like he's not. He's active in your life, and he's loving you with an everlasting love. He's he's growing your faith. He's making you like Christ. He's preparing you for glory. What shall separate us from the love of Christ, Romans chapter 8 says? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No. 
In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Paul says, for I am sure, I am certain that neither death or life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor present things, or, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So listen, when it seems like all hope is lost, just look to the cross and behold God's steadfast love for you. And then the second, and more importantly, this psalm pictures for us the glory of our suffering Savior. This psalm pictures for us the glory of our suffering Savior. In David's circumstances, we we get a glimpse of the glory of the one who humbled himself to the point of death, yes, even death on a cross. The the one who was forsaken so that we can be forgiven. The, The one who suffered so we can be saved. Our glorious Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And then finally, for those of you who might be here this morning who've never trusted in the Lord Jesus, whether you know it or not, there's a great distance between you and God. And what's separating you from God is your sin. And unless you turn from your sin and trust in Christ alone to save you from it, the only experience you'll have for eternity is separation from God and suffering and torment. There will only be eternal turmoil for you. So I want to plead with you this morning in the name of Jesus, look to the Christ of the cross and accept his atoning sacrifice to save you. Cry out to God and confess your sin. Turn from your sin and trust in Christ and you'll be forgiven. And then, you know what, like David, you'll be able to rejoice in his salvation, and we will rejoice with you. Amen? Let's go ahead and close together in prayer. Our Father, we rejoice this morning in your Son and his great salvation. Lord, we're in awe that he would be forsaken so that we can be forgiven, that he would suffer on our behalf so that we can be saved from our sin. Lord, we praise you for your goodness shown to us in Christ Jesus. Lord, thank you for your steadfast love. Thank you, for the, Lord, for the trials of life that in your love you use to teach us to trust you. Lord, thank you that in those times we can cry out to you. When the turmoil comes our way, no matter how long it may last, we ask for the grace, Lord, to remember your amazing character and to glorify Christ. Lord, we also want to pray for anyone here this morning who's never trusted in the Lord Jesus. Lord, we ask that in your mercy, they would come to your Son for life. Lord, please grant them a broken heart over their sinfulness and faith in the sufficiency of Christ's atoning sacrifice. Lord, we pray that you would give them a love for Jesus and a desire to follow after him. In his holy and glorious name we ask.